0: Uh, good morning. My name is Nathan Kurtz. Our passage today is from Ecclesiastes, chapter five, verses eight through twenty. Uh, please read along if you have your Bible. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high officials is watched. The high officials watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way. A king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has the owner but to see them uh, with his eyes? Sweet is is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, and much vexation, and sickness and anger. Behold... Maybe seated.
1: Oh come on! He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. That can't be right, can it? I mean, I I love money. I'm not gonna lie. Hopefully, that's an overstatement, but I at least like it a whole lot. Can we give a round of applause to money, everybody? <laughs> no. uh, oh, oh, Lisa, Lisa! <laughs> that was a test. That was a test. Oh, but it's true, isn't it? We love money, don't we? We get so drawn into its power. We like it so much. It just kind of, it just sucks us right in. It's like that first crush that never really went away. And I can tell you for myself personally, uh, I grew up in a family of six and we didn't, we didn't have a lot. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know that we were poor, but I do clearly remember my parents explaining to me that I received uh, reduced and sometimes even free lunches at school. There was sort of a, an air of scarcity around the house. Again, we had what we needed but everything felt a little bit scarce, right? And that, that affects you as, you as you grow up, but it's not just the rich who end up loving money. I mean, I can remember at an early age trying to find any possible ways I could to, to make money, not because I needed it, just because I wanted money. And so some of my earliest memories were me mowing lawns for different family friends or raking leaves in order to make money. Again, I didn't need it, I just wanted it. I can remember in elementary school, I sold candy and gum to, uh, like on the black market at school, like the fellow customers or I guess uh, classmates. Um, Again, not because I needed to. I started kind of my first real job when I was 14 and have never really ever stopped working since. Uh, Even even my senior year of college, I was engaged to be married, 19 credit hours, and I worked full time. And again, not because I had to. Because I wanted money, and so early on, this this love affair in my life began. And I don't know if it was how those early years shaped me, or uh, whatever it, whatever it was. But you and I both know, right? When when you have money, you feel in control, and who doesn't like that? Like it gives you a, a sense of, of power, of of security, right? That everything's going to be okay. Or, and with money, you can, you can buy stuff, right? We all like stuff. You can buy experiences. All that, that junk that my heart still craves, right? It makes me feel safe, money does. And the reality is many of our problems, maybe even most of our problems, can be fixed with money. Which is great if you have it, right? It's pretty hard if you don't. But so many of our problems can be fixed with money. It gives us a sense of, of safety, it's a shield to protect us. Now, to be clear, none of this actually makes me happy, right? Uh, at least not in like the the long term satisfied kind of way. I mean, there's a, there's a split moment of happiness, like when you, you order the next purchase, you have like 10 seconds there uh, of, of happiness before you start thinking about the next purchase, right? Or that, that quick glance at your, at your savings account, maybe you're watching it grow, like you have a moment, don't look at your retirement right now, uh, but maybe the savings account, maybe that one cheers you up a little bit. Like it gives us that quick moment, and I have to wonder sometimes, if given the choice between this illusion of control that money gives, an actual true happiness. Like, what, what would I pick? It's almost like we could rewrite some of our favorite worship songs. Think of, like, on money, the solid rock I stand, all other ground sinking, right? Or uh, uh, in money alone, my hope is found. It is my light, my strength, my song, my comforter, my all in all here, and the love of money I stand. I'm probably gonna get struck by lightning. Um, along with Lisa, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's okay as long as as long as nobody touches my money, right? And I'm I'm not alone. Uh, let me give a few quotes here. Uh, Steve Martin, for example, once said, "I love money. I love everything about it. I bought some pretty good stuff. Got me a $300 pair of socks. Got a first sink, an electric dog polisher, a gasoline-powered turtleneck sweater. Of course, I bought some dumb stuff too." We all want to know how to get a little bit more, uh, don't we? Here's advice from Malcolm Forbes. I made my money the old-fashioned way. I was very nice to a wealthy relative right before he died. <laughs> that's, that's my plan. I'm going to do that one. Uh, or, or J.P. Getty. My formula for success is rise early, work late, and strike oil. It's good advice. If you can strike oil, do that. Yeah, we all all know that it ruins us, right? So here's what what James Grant has to say. I love this one. Insofar as there is a lesson in history, it's that human beings are not good with large sums of money, anything over $136. (laughs) You get beyond that, we're going to just mess it up, right? And yet, who here doesn't want just a little bit more? Just a little bit. I don't need a lot more. Just a little bit. Money offers us the world, but the reality is if you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. And if you take just one thing with you today, I hope it's that, if you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. So go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 if you haven't already. And this, this is essentially what the, the teacher the teacher says. Now now we're, we're studying the, the book of Ecclesiastes together, and, and if you recall, or if this is your first Sunday, let me kind of give a little context, because Ecclesiastes is kind of a strange book, right? Uh, the teacher, he's kind of the, the main person talking throughout this, is sort of like a character in the book. And it's, it's written from his perspective, this sort of grumpy old man, essentially. He's had everything in his life, everything, every, every pleasure, everything uh, that money can buy, everything. But he's looking back on his miserable little life. And he kind of deconstructs life as we know it. Like the things that we look to to give us meaning, that we think are going to make us happy. He, t- he looks at all of that, kind of one by one by one, and says it's all just hevel. That's the, the Hebrew word uh, translated in our Bibles as vanity or meaningless. It literally just means vapor, right? It's smoke. That, that if life is purely under the sun, right, with no reference to a God over the sun, that's kind of a, a, kind of a tool he keeps using. If, if that's true, then everything is just hevel. And we're touching on these themes together. And even as we, we go through this series, it's seven weeks, right? And there's, uh, you know, we're kind of moving fairly quickly. We're not going sort of verse by verse. We're going uh, kind of theme by theme, if that makes sense. And so we've looked at pleasure as hevel, and work can be hevel, and, and now wealth is hevel. An old man teacher, he summarizes it with these words in verse, in verse 12. He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Oh, come on. That can't be true, right? It's such an interesting contrast there. The laborer, okay, so he's not talking about the person in abject poverty. We know that comes with its own kind of problems, right? Own own kind of challenge. The laborer, someone in his context who, who makes just enough, has just enough to get by, right? Neither poverty nor riches, just enough. That person sleeps great. But the full stomach of the rich keeps us awake. Whether it's indigestion because we've had so many delights to, to eat or whether it's the worry that comes with wealth. Because if you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. And the the teacher goes through kind of four key reasons why he believes this is true in his experience. Again, he's had everything, right? And so he's telling us, this has been my experience. This is what it looks like. He gives us four reasons in particular. The The first one is, the reason you'll never be rested is because the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the more you want. Nah, I just want a little bit more, right? But how long have you been saying that? right? Or even, even the most common definition of a rich person, right? It's just someone with more than you, right? It's always somebody just a little bit further ahead, right? But look what he says in, in verse 10. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity, And keep in mind, a poor person can love money, a rich person can love money, neither will be satisfied, he says. Arthur Brooks, uh, in his outstanding book, From Strength to Strength, finding success, happiness, and deep purpose in the second half of life. And yes, I am reading books about the second half of life. It's the most depressing part of the whole sermon right there. but it's a fascinating book, and he talks about, yeah, of course, of course there is some satisfaction with, with success and wealth and, and, and you know, kind of having those, those normal accolades that come with it. But the reality is you always want more, and he talks a lot about how what ends up happening is that because we want more of those things, we end up, we end up sacrificing the things that we actually know will make us happy. And so we end up, we we work longer hours, we take a more stressful job, we do all of these things thinking this is what it's going to be like, but we sacrifice family, friendships, other relationships, right? Personal, Personal growth, character development, the things that actually do make us happy. Yeah, but if I work just a little harder, a few more hours, and I'll be able to buy something I don't really want to impress people I don't really like, And the more you have, the more you want. And I'm guessing everybody in this room could tell a story about how that's true, right? You've got one thing and you're like, well, I need the second thing, right? Or, you, you know, we just, we do this over and over, don't we? That's the first thing. Second, second, we forget this one. They're, they're related, uh, but we kind of forget this one a little bit. The, the more you have, the more you need. This is where the teacher goes next. The more you have, the more you actually Need it's not it's not just that your wants increase like so do your so do your needs I mean more money more problems right and and here's the deal some of you some of you are hearing this and you're you're like rolling your eyes like oh the problems of the rich right uh, let me try those problems for a while I get that if like if you if you have very little like I understand this, this is a, that's a hard thing to, to hear perhaps I, I think of I think of my favorite quote from Fiddler on the Roof uh, one of the characters says uh, riches are a curse. And Tevier responds, then may the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover, right? It's my favorite. Like, some some of you are hearing that, and you're like, well, I want those problems. Let me have those problems for a while. I get that. And yet, let's hear what the teacher has to say, because there are a host of problems that come with the wealthy. Verse 11, he says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So what, he, what he's saying is like the more you own, the more you need, like the more expenses you have, the, and you the more the more care it takes, and and you just get to watch as others eat the fruit of your labor. Is what he's saying. Like you do you do all this work, but as your as your expenses increase, you just watch all that money just somehow float away. Right? Some of you know the experience intimately. I think about one of my personal heroes. Johnny Cash, of course. Uh, so Johnny Cash sold, has sold ninety-one, over 91 million albums. Uh, but he spent decades of his life, really probably even the majority of his life, making millions of dollars, but essentially living paycheck to paycheck. Always worried about money. Uh, taking a ridiculous amount of, of con- concerts because he just had to pay his bills. He had like 40 or 50 people working for him o- over his lifetime. And so he had to to pay them. And so, like, in the lowest part of his his career, uh, he was absolutely exhausted, creatively just completely depleted, uh, but did concert after concert after concert, even resorting to doing stuff like Branson, God forbid. Um, And he churned out, he had to churn out these, like, terrible albums. Like, if you listen to his work in the 80s, it is awful. And if you don't believe me, just Google the song later. You can watch the video, Chicken in Black. Johnny, Johnny, no. Like, it's terrible, right? It's just absolutely awful. It's like my kid's favorite song. I kind of hate him for it, but nevertheless, it's awful, but like, because somebody had to take care of his ostrich, right? And and the other things that had kind of accumulated in his life, he had to have this whole group of people around him, and it's very easy for us, I think, to look at sort of the super rich and their ridiculous choices, right? Well, I don't have an ostrich, so I'm okay, right? But people, we do the same thing, don't we? Maybe just think from a personal standpoint. So last year, uh, we moved to an old house out in the country, right? So it was a financial upgrade. So I've arrived, people, and I know that I'll be happy now forever and never want another thing ever in my life, right? Right? But of course, with that comes different responsibilities, like maintaining a larger lawnmower and a chainsaw. And then we had like a possum problem and a couple of bathrooms we had to remodel. Now we have this great yard, but this deck, it's too small, right? We need a bigger deck. And, and now, even though our yard is so much bigger than our old yard, all of our new neighbors' yards are so much bigger than ours, right? And it's ridiculous, but you're with me, right? This is how, this is how we live, and we all know that if you buy a bigger house and your utilities go up or for some reason a fancy car needs fancy repairs, but it's more than that. I think this is a bit of what old man teacher here is hitting on, that when your wealth increases, so do your social obligations. And this is, this is where we get caught up in this sort of game, right? Because with, with more money, your kids expect more, your spouse expects more. Your friends, even, even your neighbors, you move into a new circle of relationships all of a sudden. And so for some of you, if you've had this experience, like you've, you perhaps have gone from being the richest person in your old neighborhood to the poorest person in your new neighborhood. Or, or, or you get a promotion, finally, and you've been working so hard for this promotion, but all of your new colleagues, they've had this promotion for a long time. You look around, man, they've been on better vacations than you. They drive nicer cars than you. And all of a sudden, you need a boat, and then you need something to pull the boat, right? And a place to store the boat, and a lake to drive the boat, right? just increases, increases, increases. Some of us in this room have more money than you've ever had in your whole life. Again, don't look at the retirement. We'll get to that in a second, okay? But as you think about your income, you think about your savings, maybe that's true of you, but with that comes more bills, more demands, more expectations, more worry, more stress, and according to the teacher, perhaps even more misery, because if you look to money for rest, it'll only leave you restless. All right, that's that's two out of four, okay? We'll, and then, then we'll get to the good news. So you're halfway through the bad news. We'll move a little faster through these if you're like, oh man, when is this over? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll move quickly here, but this is the third one here. The third one is the more you have, the more you lose, okay? So now it's time to look at your retirement, okay? It's not doing great right now. I don't know if you know that, it's pretty awful. Um, but look, look, what he, look what he says here the more you have uh, the more you lose and I think we all we all feel this in some ways right now don't we uh, whether it's inflation the housing market the national debt the unpredictability of the stock exchange and if you're like me I never cared about any of that stuff until I had a vested interest in some of that stuff right and th- this is how it goes like I didn't I didn't care I didn't It didn't stress me out. Now I hear the news and it's like, oh, my, how does this affect me? Like, the more you have, the more you lose. And it stinks to lose a few bucks in Bitcoin. Any confessions here? A few? Uh, Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to. But, like, some of you have lost in various ways throughout your life. You've lost thousands of dollars in different things, right? It's no wonder the rich can't sleep. Because there's always that nagging question. Because even though we put our trust in money wrongly, we actually think it. We think for a moment that it gives us some sort of control. We we know better. We know that it doesn't. And so there's this nagging thought in the back of our mind of when is the bottom going to fall? When am I going to lose that high pressure job? Right? When when is when are my debts going to catch up with me? What if I can't pay off my student loan? Right? What if what if I lose everything? Verse thirteen. It says that there is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's a father of a son and has nothing in his hand. The idea there is he had everything and lost all of it. He has no legacy now to leave, nothing to pass off, which really leads to the fourth the 4th thing, the ultimate reason why you will never find rest if you look for it here. It's that one day, rich or poor, you're still just going to die right? No amount of money can stop that. And the more you have, the more you leave behind. Rich and poor, he says this. Rich and poor have this in common. Both are naked when they are born, and both essentially are naked when they leave. So he says, so what's, what's the point of accumulating all this stuff, right? Verse, verse 15. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came and and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? You work and you work and you work. You accumulate and you accumulate. You got more stuff, more accolades. You may even end up with this mountain of wealth at the end. Who really cares because at the end you're still gonna be put in a box lower to the ground and while you're being eaten by worms somebody else is gonna get bored with your junk have you ever been doing a estate sale is there any, any place more depressing than pilfering through some dead person's leftovers right reminds me reminds me of this New Yorker cartoon of a man on his deathbed I should have bought more stuff, right? We chuckle because it's insane, right? It's funny because, like, nobody ever says that. And we know that nobody ever would ever, ever say that. And yet, how many of us, if we're really honest, are trying to live that? And so he culminates in verse 17. Before we get to a little bit of good news, it is coming, I promise. But in verse 17, he says, moreover, all his days, he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. The idea there, he gets up so early to start work that it's dark and he eats breakfast in the dark. And then he gets home so late, he eats dinner in the dark. And his take-home pay is vexation, sickness, and anger. Yeah, but it'll be different with with me, right? Because I just need a little bit more. Or, may, or maybe you think, well, none of this—none of this actually applies to me because I don't—I don't have that much to begin with, right? I, I don't feel like I'm one of these individuals that he's—that he's talking about, and maybe—maybe maybe that's true. But again, rich or poor, you can be obsessed with money, and money can control you, whether you have a lot or a little. Or maybe others of you think, well, okay, I've heard this before, and I've tried to change, but I still really like money. I don't want to—I don't want to end up like this. But is there another way? Well, yes, there is. Again, if you look to money for rest, it will only leave you restless. But if you look to the giver, which is where the teacher goes next, if you look to the giver for rest, you will find it. Look what he builds to in verse verse 18. Again, after he's just talked about everything bad about money, Right? how unsatisfying it ultimately is. He gets to this, verse 18. He says, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils into the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. This is one of the rare moments for the teacher where things brighten up just a tiny bit. Where he gives us a glimpse of of who God is. Like all of a sudden, right? He, he mentions like God as the focus. Like twice he says that God has given right, and, and he refers to the, the gift of God. Because you see, the the reason we love money so much is because money makes the same kind of promises that God makes, doesn't it? I mean, that's why you can you can change it into like a worship song pretty easily about about money, right? Money money promises us salvation when life falls apart. It promises security and safety, some sense of control. It promises us pleasure and satisfaction. God and money us the same thing, but only one doesn't leave you restless. And you trust, if you trust in him to keep you safe, to give you your daily bread, to satisfy you with real joy, then money begins to lose his power. So for, for some of us, before we get to any sort of application, um, like some practical steps. Like you just have to ask like have I been going to money with the same kinds of requests that I should be going to God? Have I been putting those same kind of expectations believing that money is going to answer these promises better than, than he can if I just have a little bit more, if I just get a little bit further ahead, then I'll be okay. And if that if that describes you, let's I think we all kind of at some point go down that path. Just to say God, forgive me. Like I'm sorry. Like, I've been putting my hope someplace other than you, and that will never, that will never leave, leave me restless, leave, leave me with rest. That, go, go to him. And then, and then if you do that, there are two, two habits in particular, I think, um, that I want to end with, to train our hearts to look to the giver instead of at the gift. So first, if you want to find rest in the giver, you have to embrace grateful enjoyment grateful enjoyment because the teacher's solution here, it's not that money's bad or stuff is bad or pleasure is bad. The Bible actually teaches that God made a world of abundance, right? That if we look to the garden, which is what we were created for, you and I were made for a garden, a world without lack, where we had everything we could possibly want and more. Like these cravings remain in us because of our true home, the garden, right? And even though our world is now broken and our attachments are now broken, we can still enjoy God's gifts, with gratitude. This is, this is kind of the theme there in these final verses, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy your work. Enjoy the gifts that God has given. Don't squander them, don't waste them, but don't put your hope in them either. John, John Ortberg writes Gratitude is not something we give to God because He wants to make sure we know how much trouble He went to over us. Gratitude is the gift God gives us that enables us to be blessed by all His other gifts the way our taste buds enable us to enjoy the gift of food. Without gratitude, our lives degenerate into envy, dissatisfaction, and complaints, taking what we have for granted and always wanting more. Instead of gratitude, we think, man, I worked hard for this stuff. I deserve it. I'm entitled to it, right? Which only feeds that dragon living inside you. Instead, we have to discipline ourselves to say thank you and to say thank you all the time all the time, like to people and to God. Every every moment you get to recognize that there is a giver behind everything you have, everything in your life, and to say thank you. To begin your day by saying thank you. To end your day by saying thank you. And, and all throughout your day, just say, God, thank you. Thank the giver. Because then we can find enjoyment in his gifts without idolizing them, without making them everything. And then we can find rest. So that's that's the first habit. Just grateful enjoyment. Second, if you want to find rest in the giver, you knew it was coming to this, right? You got to pry open your stingy fingers once in a while and be generous. Embrace generous living. Again, maybe that sounds like a very predictable way in a church to hear us talk about money. Yeah, okay, I should be generous. But listen, nothing nothing frees us from the ideology, the slavery that we have towards money and stuff, like opening our hands and giving it away. And frankly, the harder it is for you to do that, the more you probably need to do that in order to learn this, right? To be freed from the slavery that this this can so often create in us. If you're not a generous person, you will not be uh, restful. You you will not have the rest that God promises. You have to live into this in order to find that kind of rest. And And Jesus even said, right, it's more blessed to give than to receive, which we're all like, nah, it can't be true, right? It's better to give than to get. That's not American, right? We don't we don't like that. But that's what Jesus promised. It's better. There's life here, there's joy here. So give simply for the pleasure of it. Give, give to those in need, give to your church. And again, I know as a pastor what that sounds like, give to your church. Well, of course, he wants us to give it. But like, listen, I'm part of this. I love money too. It's hard for me to be generous. But I can remember, uh, it was about 20 years ago, Kelly and I had just barely been married and I told you how I had this weird love affair with money and stuff most of my life. But we decided early on in our marriage, hey, let's, let's be generous. Like, let's, let's at least start with, with tithing and then we can move up from, from there. And we started that when we had almost nothing, which in some ways, I don't know if it's easier or harder, right? Because you're not giving much away. I don't, I don't know what's harder. I don't know what's easier. But we opened our hands and, like, it hasn't gotten easy. Like, I still think, man, we could use that for other things, right? But there's never been any regrets with that. For a life of of generosity is a life of joy. When we can open our hands to God and to others, there is joy that comes with it. Because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this is exactly what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? He's not asking us to do something that we wouldn't, that he hasn't done, right? He, he left the, the riches of heaven. He came uh, into poverty as a human here with us. He gave of his own life in order to forgive us from our idolatry, the ways in which these things continue to tug on our hearts. He offers us forgiveness, pouring out again and again and again upon us so that we may have true life and power to actually change and rest for our restless hearts, which is the kind of rest that money just can't buy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your help. God, even as I speak these words, I know the tug in my own heart to accumulate just a little bit more either either more stuff, more experiences, or just more more sense of security and safety. And so, God, I pray that you would free us from the slavery we so often have to these things. Give us eyes to see your world as you see it. Give us open hands, open hearts, gratitude and joy. And ultimately, Lord Jesus, that we we would trust you to give us what we need the most and that we would find our rest. And so even now, as we come to your table, Lord Jesus, to celebrate what you have done, what you have poured out on our behalf. Um, Let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Um, It's on the screen if you don't know the words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.